listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a message from our Young Adults Pastor, Dylan Young. Good evening. It's good to see all of you. Um, It's been a couple of weeks, and I miss you guys every time. The two weeks feels long. Uh, But hey, it's great to see all of you. If you're new, my name's Dylan, and I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Long Hollow, and it is great to see all of your faces. Um, As we start tonight, let's just go into a moment of prayer as we begin our time studying the Word. God, thank you for this evening. We thank you for your Word, which never returns void. And I pray that tonight you might open our eyes so that we might see the goodness of the gospel and the freedom that comes in it. And Lord, would you speak to us through your word? And we look forward to all that you have in store for us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, one of the things, if you watch sports at all, uh, one of my least favorite trends at the moment is people, the way people are celebrating, making something good happen in a game. So, man, it's great. You go make a play, celebrate all you want. But the thing that I see people doing right now, they make a big hit, they hit a three, they dunk over somebody, they're making a catch. The thing that people do right now is they put their hand down like this. Like, this guy's too small, right? Guy's too small, couldn't do anything to me. I don't like that. Like, for one, you're, you're playing down your own accomplishment. Like, if the guy's, I mean, you didn't do anything if he's little, right? It's like when you chant overrated after you're beating somebody. Like, you go beat number one. Now, you need to beat number one. You don't need to beat a team that's overrated. You're downplaying your own accomplishment. But the reason I don't like it is just the arrogance of it. Like, why, go, go make a play. Go make a great play. And then go celebrate with your team. You ain't got to belittle the other team because they screwed up. Like, well, what happens with that? Like, if you're playing intramurals or something, you're laughing. It's because you do it. <laughs> no, guys. You can celebrate and you can have a great time doing something without belittling the other side, right? When they make a mistake, when somebody screws up, there's no, there's no need for that. And the thing that the, we have to recognize is that that happens sometimes in the church. Sometimes the church can make us feel that way, like we've screwed up and all of a sudden we're being belittled because of it. And I know maybe some of you have grown up in church environments where legalism was the norm where guilt and shame were cast upon you whenever you did make a mistake. And that's a tough place to be in. And I see heads nodding because you've been there. I hope that's not how you found Long Hollow so far. But man, for some of you, that's where you've grown up and that's maybe a place you're trying to come out of and you're having to figure out, man, is that the gospel or is there something different? Because I don't think I want that. So tonight what I hope for us is that you're gonna see the way that Jesus loves you, and you're gonna see the freedom that is found in the true gospel. And you're gonna be able to contrast that with an environment that heaps shame and guilt upon you. Because I want you to live in the freedom that comes in following Jesus. Is that other way? That's no way to live. That's not the life that Jesus had in mind for you. It was to constantly be battling guilt and shame. No, he, he took care of that. And that's what we're gonna see as we study tonight. So if you would, you can go ahead and be opening up to Matthew 23. And we're going to look at this idea of guilt and shame and liberalism in in a couple of different passages. Um, And the way we're going to look at it is the expectations that the church places on people and then the expectations that Jesus places on us as his followers. Because 
they ought to be the same thing, but sometimes they're not, right? And that's where we run into problems. So the, the first idea we're going to see in Matthew 23 is just the expectations of the church. Um, and let me, give you, let me give you a little bit of background on where we're at in Matthew 23, because I do think there's some, some interesting details we need to, to make a note of. So first off, Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew, right? But he is a former tax collector. So this guy, he was a Jewish guy, but totally did away with his Jewish heritage to become a tax collector for the Romans, right? So, y'all, he was the lowest of the low in society to the Jewish people. Like, if anybody was feeling chastisement and judgment and condemnation, all those things from the Jewish people, from the religious leaders, it's Matthew. But apparently, that's not what he found when he met Jesus, because he's following Jesus, right? So there's got to be something different going on there. Oh, man, this guy, he, he was seen as an oppressor of the Jews. So he felt that condemnation from those people and probably still felt it even after he had come into the church and started following Jesus because of that background. So that's the guy writing this. So we need to keep that in mind as we're reading this story. And then I don't know if this is actually the order everything happened in in Matthew here, but... I think it's interesting the way Matthew lays it out, or the way he lays out this conversation. So just before where we are in Matthew 23, we see over and over again, the Pharisees are asking Jesus questions. They're trying to justify themselves in some ways. They're trying to catch Jesus in an in a, in untruth, if you will. They're trying to trip him up on some things. So they're kind of grilling Jesus. They're interrogating him. And I love how Matthew sets up the story. If you, if you picture the scene, so you can picture the religious leaders they're grilling Jesus with questions. There's probably an audience that's gathered because at this point in Matthew 23, people know about Jesus, like they're watching. And it feels like Jesus almost takes this moment to say, okay, is that all? And then he turns to the crowd. So he's been looking at them the whole time. And what they don't know is that as they've been interrogating him, he's also been examining them. In Matthew 23, he presents to the crowd that's watching his findings on the Pharisees. And you can read the whole chapter and see it is not a glowing review that he gives of them. We're going to look at just one aspect of how the Pharisees fell short tonight. Uh, so Matthew 23, we're starting in verse 1, and it says this. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. So he turns to them. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. So they've got this important position within the church. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but... Don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Now, I'll leave that up for a second, but it's, it's interesting. Jesus actually commends their teaching to begin with. That's not probably what we would expect walking into this passage. So he says, look, they're, he, they maybe get their teaching right. And maybe, maybe even often. They're very zealous for the word. They loved the word of God. They just they took it too far in some places. Now, that, that's an important note to make. So where they got off is their practice. They had the right, if you want to use the big technical terms, they had the right orthodoxy, they had the right beliefs, but they didn't have the orthopraxy, their practice, to go along with it. And one without the other really doesn't do you a whole lot of good. So if that's the way the religious leaders are operating, what does that lead them to? It leads them to verse 4. Here's what they do to the people. And this is, this is the verse that I want you to feel for tonight. It says, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry, and they put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. 
Maybe that sounds familiar to some of you in the way that you grew up in church and the things that you felt from the church. Man, what, what does that type of environment lead us to? It, it, often it leads us to what we call legalism today, right? That's when leaders are operating in that way, it's going to lead us to a place of legalism. So Christianity that is really strict uh, with behavior, but often seems to miss the heart of the gospel, right? That's what we're talking about tonight. Uh, now, Ethan, if you'll come up here for just a second. This is not calling out sin or anything like that. I just need you to stand here for a second. Come on up here with me. So, because I know you're not afraid of the spotlight. Um, so I want to give you some visuals as we go through the night. There's a lot of things we can picture here. So, Ethan, here's what I want you to do. I got this vest for you. I want you to throw that on your shoulders. Now, that's a, that's a weighted vest, and we're going to strap it on when we get it on you. So we got, now look, this is just 20 pounds. This is no big deal. Um, strap that thing on you. You look good in that, but it, you don't need to be nervous. But listen, that's, that's, 20, that's 20 extra pounds. I don't know what you weigh, but that's a significant percentage of your weight that you've just added. Now let's just think, this is, this is a category of sin, right? This is one way that you've got to live that I've just put on your shoulders. And I'm going to do nothing about it to help you get it off. I'm just going to let you struggle with it. You wear it for the rest of your life, right? No, you can actually take it off now. No. I just want, to, I want you to see the visual. Here, here's what the religious leaders are doing. They're putting this weight on them, and I'm letting Ethan off the hook. I'm taking this off him. But they're putting weights on people's shoulders, and they're not doing anything to take it off. Thank you, Ethan. That was great. Um, they, they've got this weight that they're putting on people. But, y'all, they, they take one vest and they put it on, but then they put another vest on, and then they put another vest on. And it's just weighing the people down, right? It says they're not doing a thing to help them with this weight. That's, that's not what a pastor ought to look like. That's not what us as a church ought to look like for helping each other out, right? That's not the way we help each other follow Jesus. Now, keep that visual in mind, and we're going to see what Jesus does with that same weight later. But the implication here is that the problem is that they're putting this weight on. That's not their place to put the weight on the people. Like the standard in the church and in this ministry, I am not the standard. It is not my job to, to show you that this is, this is what you live like. No, I'm gonna try to model the gospel for you. I'm doing my best, but the, the standard is Jesus. And I'm trying to get you to follow after me as I follow after him, right? That's what we're doing here. The standard is Jesus. The standard is not any pastor. The standard is not any of you, right? Well, we're trying to get people to follow well after Jesus. So again, picture it. Like they're, they're putting the weight of a God-honoring life on the people. And, and that's a good thing. Like I, I want you to feel the, the desire and the need to live a God-honoring life. But man, they're not doing anything to walk alongside them. They're not helping them carry. The, the, that same load should be on them. But it says they're not actually living this way. So they can just, they can throw out commands and, and they don't have to live by the same thing. That's... The problem, and it is sad and it's frustrating when we see pastors and when we see church members who are always pointing the finger at your sin, but never acknowledging their own shortcomings, right? That's not a system anybody wants to be a part of. So it's, listen to me, the, the line I'm trying to, to toe here tonight is we absolutely live a life where we are trying to avoid sin at all costs. We live that way. But what we need to see is, is what happens when we do fall into sin. Because I don't think any of us would say you've avoided sin this past week, right? And you've been perfect in the way you've lived this last seven days. The difference we got to see is how, is how people respond and how Jesus responds to our sin. 
Here's where, here's where legalism can go wrong. Because it, it's, it's good to have principles and it's good to have safeguards that are going to keep us from sin. The problem is when those safeguards become the new standard for sin, right? It, it, we can't call something sin that the Bible doesn't call sin. That, that's not our place to do that. We don't get to heap extra loads on you, the church, that Jesus doesn't actually put on you yourself. Um, and that's where people start the process of deconstruction. That's what can get people to take that first step down that road is like when they're thinking, man, like this is, this can't be what this is supposed to be, right? Like this is no fun. I just feel shame all the time. I just feel this weight all the time and it never is relieved at all. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. If that's what God is, I don't want that. And it makes sense, right? While they start walking down that road in the first place. And y'all, I started, I started to try to list some ways that churches and pastors can do this. And I, I couldn't get comfortable with a way to actually name some things that wasn't gonna unnecessarily call people out. But I think you know legalism when you see it. I think you know when people step outside the bounds of, of scripture when you see it. Um, so that, that, and that's not the point. Like I don't, the point is not to call out specific things. The point I want you to hear is that if that is the gospel you've been sold, that's a gospel that Jesus is not familiar with. That's not the way Jesus designed life. Like he wouldn't tell you that he wants to give you an abundant life and that be the life that he leads you to. That doesn't make sense. That's not what Jesus has in mind. Um, now, when people find themselves in an environment like this, they, they can go down that road of, of deconstruction and, and hopefully they find a way to renovate their faith if we want to use this terminology that we've used. But a lot of times when we see them demolish their faith, like we talked about, it turns into um, a situation where they just embrace self. And again, I'm not trying to just go after one particular group, but that's what we see a lot of the time. If you, if you walk out of the church, it ends up being either an atheistic or an agnostic lifestyle where really just self is embraced. And, and I want to, just for a second, just give you, uh, before we look at the gospel of Jesus, I want to give you a caution if you're in that place um, where you're just embracing self. Um, this Again, I'm not trying to go after any particular terminology or whatever, but self-love is the term right now, right? Uh, I, want to, I want to make sure that you hear a word of caution before you embrace that as your whole belief system. Um, so the, the self-care industry and all this stuff did not take long to find. Um, the self-care industry is thriving, to say the least, and that includes all sorts of stuff, not, not all of which is bad, um, but it's, a, it's an estimated $450 billion industry. Good industry to be in if you're a business person because that's what people are looking for, right? If you go to Amazon and just looks for books, if you Google, uh, if you search self-love on Amazon and just look in the books category, you got 60,000 books to read. If you Google self-love, you have 4.25 trillion links to sift through. Like this is, this is the topic of the day. If you're walking out of a, of a, a gospel-centered lifestyle looking for something else, this is probably where you're gonna look first is this self-love mindset. And look, I get it. Like, I'm not saying don't love yourself. You don't have to be down at, like Jesus loves you. So I think it's okay for us to love ourselves. but that can't be your belief system. It has some things that you need to consider um, before you, you move into this, this mode of the modern person who just embraces self. Um, and y'all, I'm not 
making these two things up, I think even if you're, if you're searching for self-love, I think you're not going to agree with some of the ways I've seen to go about loving yourself. And one of the very first links that comes up on Google, the thing that it tells me, tells me to do to start to love myself is to fish for compliments. It says, you've grown up thinking that that's a bad thing, but no, it's a good thing because you need to learn to love yourself and you need to hear those compliments, so go fish for them. And then when you get the compliment, this is a quote, it says to respond with, thank you, this is true. Y'all, I'm just saying, like, that might increase your self-esteem, but it's going to ruin your friendships. No, nobody wants that friend, right? I think about, <laughs> that hit home for somebody over here. Uh, I just want you to think, like, I, I, had the, I had the, think about how this scenario could have gone. I had the privilege of preaching two Sunday mornings ago, and I was so honored to do that. But think about it, if I had that following week, if I had been coming up to US in Legacy Coffee, I'm saying, hey. Did you see I got to preach on Sunday? That was pretty cool, right? I got to be in front of the whole church. What was your favorite part? <laughs> and like when you said that, it, what if my response was, that was pretty good. That was, that was a pretty good sermon I put together. That would be the last time you ever listened to me, right? You don't want to hear anything else I got to say because I'm full of myself in that moment. That can't be the solution to feeling uh, shame and guilt. Like that, that, that can't be the way we go about things. But, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm not against loving who you are. That's totally fine. The problem is when that becomes your whole mindset. And I want to give you this visual again. Here's what you're doing, in a sense. When you just choose to love self and let that be your belief system. I can't buckle this with one hand. But, when you embrace just love of self, and that is your, that is your worldview, that's your mindset, what you've done is you take the vest and you put it on yourself. You give yourself the weight and there is nobody to take it off. It is up to you to live up to your own standard. And you know, if, you, if, you know, if you've ever set a New Year's resolution, you are not going to live up to your own standard. You're going to fall short of your own standard. And when you do, there is nobody to take the weight off. You are the one that has to handle the weight. The weight does not ever come off if your worldview is self. You will be the one that wears the weight forever. And I want you to hear, that is not how God designed you to live. That's falling short of your, okay, so do we just lower the bar on our expectations for ourselves? Well, then you don't love yourself because you're a person who lowers your expectations for yourself. It, it just doesn't work. If you think, if you're going to have a belief system, it's got to be something that works for everybody. Like belief systems that just work for you, that doesn't make sense for a society. So it's got to be something that works for everybody. And y'all, if, if all of us are just looking to love ourselves, all we're going to be doing is competing with each other all the time. Because I've got to fish for that next compliment. I've got to be the one that performed the best. It doesn't work throughout a society as a whole. And Madonna actually gives us some real self-awareness into what this looks like. This is what she said about her own self. She said, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and un uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. And this is a sad line, but a great line. 
My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. That's what you're doing to yourself. If, you're, if your belief system, if your whole life is built on you, it just doesn't work. If it's all built on you, then you're all you have, and you're going to let yourself down. You're going to fall short of your own standards. You are the one that carries the weight at all times, and there is no taking it off. Please just keep that in mind. If you're thinking about walking away from Jesus and just embracing self. So if that's not the direction that we want to go, if that's not the direction we want to go, how do we go about coming out of a system like a, like a legalistic system and renovating our faith, right? That's the way we want to go in this. If, if a legalistic system is something that you've made, that's made you question your beliefs, question Christianity in general, how do we go about embracing something different that is healthy and gets us closer to Jesus. Well, the first thing I want to say to you is that uh, this is still going to happen even in, in a more healthy environment. I hope you would say Long Hollow is a healthier environment. It's going to happen still, right? Like we still feel frustrated with our own sin. Think about Paul in Romans 7, and he, he has a whole section talking about this. I pulled just two verses from it, but Romans 7 says this, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Anybody been there, right? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, y'all, this is Paul. This is a guy we would say probably avoided sin better than most. And this is still how he feels. And I imagine maybe it's how you feel at times. I know it is for me. And uh, for one, I want to recommend to you a book. There's a guy named Jonathan Bacluda. You Maybe you're familiar with him. He has a book called Why Do I Do What I Don't Want to Do? And it's all, the, the core of it is those verses right there. But he walks through all sorts of sins, just trying to look at, man, why do I do this when I don't want to? What's the side of this sin? What's the holy side of this sin that I could embrace rather than just giving into this sin all the time? Uh, or maybe you've seen the video that comes up on Instagram all the time, I feel like. It's the video of, it's a pastor, or not a pastor, a farmer. He's got a, he's got a sheep in a ditch, right? You probably know the video. He helps the sheep get out of the ditch. What does the sheep do? He goes and runs and jumps right back into the ditch. That can be what it feels like at times, right? Sometimes I'm like, Jesus, I'm sorry. Like, I know you got to be up there like, Dylan, are we serious? Again, right? Like, that, that can feel like what it's like at times. But like I said earlier, there's an aspect of, of guilt and shame that is healthy for us. And that aspect we would just call conviction, Right? That comes from the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. That's, that's the Spirit of God trying to get us back into a godly lifestyle when we've fallen into sin. That's okay. But we get there through what? Through repentance. That's the difference when we fall into sin. When we see we can be met with guilt and shame and condemnation from people, or we can find ourselves in a place where we repent and we embrace what Jesus says about us. Because listen to this. The very next few verses. You probably heard both of these sets of verses before. Maybe you never realized they were right next to each other. Because I didn't until I was working on this. So Paul's all frustrated with his own sin, right? What comes right after that in Romans 8, 1? Probably a verse you're familiar with. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So in all of his frustration with his own self, he still knows that, man, if I'm in Christ. I'm not condemned for this. Jesus still wants me to get back up 
and get back to living a holy lifestyle when I've fallen into sin. But he doesn't stand there waiting to point the finger at me. That's not how Jesus operates. So we've seen the expectation of the church. And the thing I want to talk about next is the expectations of Jesus. We look at the expectations of Jesus, and you can be turning to Matthew 11. We're going to flip back a few chapters to see that. Like we said earlier, the expectations of Jesus, the expectations of the church ought to be the same thing. And hopefully a lot of times they are. And that's a healthy environment to be in. We, we want the church to, to hold us to a standard, to hold us to the standard that Jesus calls us to. Uh, but but notice, notice the contrast in these verses that we're going to read. The contrast in following Jesus and embracing the gospel versus the legalism that we've talked about and versus uh, the idea of just embracing self. Look at the contrast here. It's Matthew 11. We're looking at verses 28 through 30. Here's what Jesus says. And again, picture this stuff. We've got so many pictures in, these, in this that we're reading tonight. Verse 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. That may be you if you're coming out of a legalistic system. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you feel the difference there? <laughs> the difference in that versus the religious leaders earlier who are heaping weight upon people and doing nothing to help them get that weight off. I, I told you there are two contrasts here. And, and the first one, I want to contrast this with the, the self-love idea of you being your own savior in a sense. And, and this idea, I got it from Tim Keller in a really short little book I can tell you about later. Um, but I want you to see how the gospel frees you up. The gospel frees you up to live this easy, this light life. And the reason it does that is because you already have the verdict over your life. You already know what the end of your life looks like. You already know when you stand before God, if, you're, if you have embraced the gospel, the gospel being the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that when he paid the price for your sins, he took them away. If you embrace that gospel, man, the verdict over your life already is approved by God. And you're not gonna find another system where you get the verdict in the middle of your life. Every other system you can find yourself in, including a system of self, you're constantly trying to earn approval and you never really know if you have it. But hear this, you already have approval through Jesus. Do you realize how freeing that could be? How many ways in your life could that free you up to know at the end of the day, you know what God thinks about you? He looks at you and he sees his son in you. Like you're one of his children. Y'all, that's a big deal. So all of a sudden, man, you're freed up. It doesn't matter what people say about you at work or school. Who cares? I know what God says about me. Like you don't have to constantly compete with other people. Like you're so, so free. If you will accept what Jesus says over your life, that you are approved by him through the blood of Jesus Think about it later. Think about all the ways that that could free you up. Like you're never in competition with anyone. You don't have to impress anyone. Y'all, you already have the approval and you're not gonna find another system, especially one of self, that gives you that approval now. You have it now. 
and you can live in light of it. And that is good news. That is really good news. And it is in sharp contrast to carrying that weight by yourself. There's a stark contrast to self here. There's a stark contrast also to legalism. Listen, when you embrace the gospel, you're free of the shame and the guilt. You're free of sin, right? Not that you won't fall into anymore, but you're free of the punishment. You're free of the guilt and shame that come along with it. Because what we actually find is that Jesus takes that whole weight for us. Again, he's given us a picture in the verses that we read earlier. He talks about the yoke that he has. And if you're familiar with it, it's a, it's a farming term, right? It's a, there's a yoke that goes over the shoulders of two oxen as they pull, uh, they pull machinery that will prepare the ground for them to plant things. It's a yoke, again, that goes over your shoulders. Do you, do you keep seeing the weight images that we're placing on the top of people? But Jesus says his yoke is light. How is that possible? It's because he actually is pulling all that weight himself. <laughs> he gives us this picture of like, look, we're in this yoke together. I'm on one side, you're on the other. I'm telling you, my yoke is easy, and it's light because he's carrying all of it. Because, y'all, when he, again, picture it, when he took, he took the weight of your sin, literally, when they put the cross on his back, his own crucifixion cross, and he had to literally carry it up to a hill where he was going to die, he took all the weight himself. He already took the weight off of you. He carried the weight that we should have carried, but we never could have carried that we were never meant to carry ourselves. And on that cross, he took the guilt and the shame and he finished it. And what he does is he takes that weight off of you. And he doesn't want you to pick it back up. He doesn't want that weight on your shoulders. Yet another visual, Hebrews 12, one and two. Think about what he's saying here. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin. There's weight that comes along with sin, right? Let us lay aside whatever clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He took that shame for us, the shame of our sin, and he seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friend, Jesus is not waiting for you to screw up so that he can point at you and tell you how badly you've screwed up. Again, we try our best to live a holy life and live a life that honors God. But when we do mess up, he's waiting there to restore us over and over and over again. And like we said earlier, that comes through repentance, right? And we need to get really good at repentance. We need to develop this automatic response, this sensitivity to the spirit that when we've fallen into sin and we know it immediately, we're saying, God, I fell short right there. Let me go ahead and confess that to you. God, I know you forgive me. I accept that. Let's keep moving forward. Let me get my eyes back on you and let's keep walking. Because when you, man, when you sin, get your eyes back on Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell you right there. Your eyes have come down. Your eyes have gone somewhere else other than Jesus in that moment. Get your eyes back on Jesus and don't put that weight back on your shoulders. Because what do we know, right? Whenever we do fall into that sin, you've probably got that one sin that plagues you, right? And whenever you fall back into it, what we're tempted to do, man, we just pick that weight back up. We put it back on our shoulders because we're ashamed, right? And we don't want to admit to Jesus that we just fell into that same thing again. So we pick that weight back up. And y'all, that is not, that's not the way Jesus went to the cross. So you can keep picking the weight back up. 
He went to the cross to take that off your shoulders and so that you don't ever have to pick it up again. So, man, whenever you look at pornography again and you start to pick up the weight, Jesus there saying, no, no, don't pick that up. Don't pick that weight back up. Get your eyes back on me and let's keep walking. And whenever you, whenever you lie or cheat at school or at work to try to get ahead of somebody, you're tempted to bend down, you pick that weight back up. But Jesus there saying, no, don't do that. Remember, keep your eyes back on the cross. You remember what I did? You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to live in that guilt and shame. And whenever you numb your emotions with drugs or alcohol, whenever you find yourself in gluttony with an unhealthy relationship with food, whenever you've slept with your boyfriend or girlfriend again, even after you both swore you'd never do it again, and you want to pick that weight back up, you feel like maybe you even should. Maybe that's the way you get past it. Jesus is standing there waiting saying, no, I already paid for that. Would you just turn to me? Would you just confess it? Would you just repent in the moment and accept the forgiveness and the freedom that comes from what I did on the cross? That is the gospel. Whatever other system you, you were brought up in, I'm sorry that you did because you got a bad picture of the gospel. And I hope tonight you feel the freedom and the forgiveness that comes along with following the real Jesus. And y'all, we've got to remind each other of this. This is how this works in this type of environment. We've got to develop relationships and be in groups together where we feel the freedom to actually confess sin to one another so that we can put our arm around each other and say, hey, come on, we, let's get our eyes back on Jesus together. I mean, we'll get past this. We'll fight this sin. Y'all, if, you, if you've had a sin that has plagued you and you get past it and you feel the freedom that is in that, there's nothing better, man. I, pornography, I've told you before, was part of my life in college. And it's been years since I've been there and I can't tell you how good that feels to not be weighed down by that sin that used to cling so closely to me. And get people around you that you can confess your sin to, that can push you towards Jesus, that can get your eyes back on Jesus and walk right alongside you in the process. That's a good place to be. That's what the church ought to be. So brother, sister, when you find yourself in sin, don't pick that weight back up. Jesus already took that weight off your shoulders. Don't pick it back up. Don't pick that sin back up. Don't pick that weight back up and live in the freedom Jesus wants you to live in. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful that you took that weight upon your shoulders and you took it off of ours. We're so thankful that you were willing and that you loved us enough to do that. And we're so thankful that even when we mess up over and over again, you're still there waiting with open arms you're not ready to condemn us, or there's no condemnation in you. And yet we find your grace over and over again, and we're so thankful for it. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Would you help us to actually believe that? Because I'm going to guess there are some here tonight that, that have a hard time even believing that what we just talked about is true, that you could really love us despite the things that we do. I pray that whoever that is in the room tonight, that you would help them to believe that, that right in this moment that you would speak to them and let them know that they are loved by you. God, you're a good God and we are grateful for your love for us. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.